Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is, pod.com. We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them. We're talking about life and life to stream right to you from the microphone right to your home, dude. Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo, because there it is. Welcome to the There It Is Podcast, a comedy podcast to help you find your inspiration. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thanks so much for joining us today, fellow Thereitisans. I don't know if that's the right word to call the listeners of There It Is, but Thereitis havers. We have a really great guest today. It's Adam Payne. He is a performer out of the Magnet Theater. He does improv with You Are Not Alone. He does musical improv with Zodiac, one of the great musical house teams at Magnet Theater. We have a really, really great fun chat about all of that. So why don't we just get right to it? Here's my chat with Adam Payne. Adam, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I've wanted you to be on for such a long time, and then I just took too long making it happen. (laughs) I didn't know that. I feel more special. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I mean, you're one of the first people I really connected with at the Magnet because of the diversity scholarship program that I was. We were assigned to uh, be connected, I believe. Yeah. I was your diversity um, mentor. Yeah. (laughs) I fully understand the role, but I was happy to be diverse in your friends. (laughs) But it was was a a great experience. And then, you know, you're a great improviser. It's always so fun to watch. So I was like, you know, got to talk to, got to talk to Adam, but let's go back to the beginning for you. Now you're actually from studio city, California. Yeah. That's where I Original. grew up my high school years. Uh-huh. Of years of a young man's life or young person's life. Is that, so you weren't born out, out in that area. I was born in the true, like suburbs of that area, uh-huh. but not in like the Los Angeles city. I was born in Santa Clarita Valley on a very cold Dasaki, cold Dasaki. <laughs> and you went to Yale. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which, uh, you know, you always laugh when somebody brings it up. <laughs> like, I think you were wearing a Yale shirt one time. And I think Christina, fiance of the show, was saying, oh, you went to Yale? And you're like, oh, yeah, like you're really... You're real bashful about it. You're like, I was just wearing this shirt. <laughs> you weren't trying to get anyone to talk to you about it. Is it true you studied astrology there? No, I studied astronomy. This is a common. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I meant astronomy. This you... happens so often. Yeah. Confusion astrology and astronomy. No, um, yeah, I just misspoke because everyone does put those two together. But I meant yeah. astronomy, which is a real thing to study at Yale, <laughs> not astrology. Uh, yep, not a real thing. Double major. Right. So in film film studies. Okay. Exactly. Yes. Well researched. So that explains how you went into entertainment because you're doing video editing and motion graphics now, right? Yeah, I am. I'm doing that for my website on guitar playing. I definitely came in wanting to be, you know, the a guy that wins an Oscar for best directing when I was a little ambitious teenager. Mm -hmm. And now I just like someone that wants to make things I like. Yeah. And you're you're real passionate right now about shredding guitar, shredding on uh, guitar. I don't <laughs> no, get it. 
And Mocant's <laughs> roaming quietly on guitar. <laughs> but you do play guitar. You do enjoy playing guitar. Yeah, it's a nice uh, little stress relief area, I think. Yeah. It's, a, it's really cathartic. It's my little stress ball. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, what kind of guitars do you have? I have, I primarily have my acoustic Yamaha. It was $100 because it was on sale at Guitar Center on my birthday. Nice. When I was a high schooler. And mm -hmm. Oh, wow, you've had it for a while. Yeah, yeah, I've had it. <laughs> I'm old now. <laughs> for whatever that is, I think 15 years now. Yeah. And that's just never felt the need to upgrade it. As long as the strings that you put on there are good, mm -hmm. I have fun with it. It serves all my purposes. It's been there with me ever since. Yamaha uh, actually does, from what I understand, make a pretty solid acoustic guitar. Yeah, it's... But I grew up with Yamaha being the keyboard <laughs> company. So when I first started hearing about them having a acoustic guitar, I was like, huh? <laughs> but but they actually have some good ones, I'm to understand. Yeah, it was affordable. It had a month back return policy. So I was like, <laughs> this is perfect. I'm going to college in one month. I can learn to be a cool acoustic guitar guy as quickly <laughs> as I possibly can. And if it doesn't work out, this thing is going right back. But I've had it, You've had it ever since. Yeah. Do you have any other instruments? Any other guitars? Uh, yeah, I have. I have an electric guitar that doesn't really get out that much. I have a ukulele. Mm -hmm. I have two saxophones. Oh. Yeah, that one's more fun. I was waiting to build up to that one. Yeah. Um, Alto, tenor, soprano. Tenor and soprano. Nice. Because if for those real tax heads, you know that those are both B flat instruments, so it's less confusing <laughs> for my brain. <laughs> yeah, so you have a big interest in music, obviously. Where did that come from? Like, you know, having being an astronomy and film studies double major at Yale, where does music really, how did music fit in? Yeah, it's sort of hard to pinpoint exactly an origin point. Well, I guess there is an easy way. <laughs> In uh, junior high, I signed up for an intro to band, basically. Yeah, same. Um, they had, yeah, they had instruments that you could, you know, take home with you and learn. And I did that with saxophone because, I, again, I was going to junior high. I wanted to look like a cool saxophone player. So because that, I don't know, <laughs> I pictured that fedora and I was like, wow, what a cool guy. So brought that home mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so that's how saxophone started i think just in general i have a very scattered brain mm -hmm. that gets very like intrigued easily by a wide plethora of things so okay. uh that's why i'm a double major in two pretty different on paper majors mm -hmm, and i mm -hmm. like fiddling around with a bunch of different instruments i just get very like the monkeys are in charge of my brain they get distracted by shiny things. <laughs> Interest in music is just an extension of that. Yeah. Well, that's cool. And and you said you're making guitar playing videos, like you're helping get those produced. Yes. Uh, my company is called Crack in the Code. We make guitar instruction videos as well as interviews with famous players. It's kind of fun. We kickstarted a guitar mount. So it mounts onto Ooh. your guitar and you can put your phone into the mount and film yourself picking. Oh, and that thing's called the magnet, which is so confusing. Whoa, for wait a second. Understand why? <laughs> we're both performers at a theater called the magnet. So right. I'm saying the magnet. Uh huh. It means one thing, and half the time I'm saying the magnet means something else. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, there is a, a media company here named Magnet that I applied to a couple of times just so 
<laughs> just so I could be like, yeah, I uh, work at the Magnet and I perform at the Magnet. <laughs> but I didn't get that job. But they love you at the Magnet. It makes so much sense. Yeah, I, it's, it's what I want. Well, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, I'm uh, trying to learn to play guitar. And I have been for 25 years. Oh, well, if you want to really shred, let me know when I can get you a moderate discount. <laughs> yeah. If, is, so that is, is the cracking the code like really specific to shredding guitar or is it like like metal guitar playing style or it's anything? specific to the techniques that you would use for picking and picking uh -huh. effectively and quickly. Whether that's guitar, whether that's mandolin, it can be a different picked instrument, whether that's metal, whether that's flamenco, whether that's jazz, whether it's whatever genre, but it goes through the mechanics of how do you use a pick, how you do it quickly. Oh, very cool. All right. Something awesome. I cannot do when I'm strumming on my Yamaha for the record. <laughs> I know how to edit the videos. <laughs> When you graduated college, a couple of years later, you started taking classes at the Magnet. Is that how, that's when you got an improv? I started at the pit. Oh, you started at the pit. Little secret. I started at the pit <laughs> just for really for the social dynamics. Yeah. I was definitely in a place where I was just like, I need more friends as an adult. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I signed up for classes at the pit. I think my first improv class ever, I didn't really, I didn't do any scenes because I was too nervous mm -hmm. and it wasn't even scenes. It was just like, just talk about yourself. And I was like, oh my God, you want me to talk about myself in front of people? That's impossible. <laughs> it wasn't until the next class that I actually got up and talked about myself and I got notes. Uh -huh. I was going really fast because I was clearly nervous. Mm -hmm. um, and then by the end of that class, grew, made friends. It was a really wonderful experience. I loved my first improv class. And I remember one of the other students being like, yeah, I remember seeing you in that first class. You looked really nervous. <laughs> and, but that has helped you come out of that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think the two reasons really I signed up for their class. One was to make friends as an adult, but mm -hmm. the other was to feel more comfortable in my own skin and with my mm -hmm. own humor. Uh -huh. I felt really like I felt hilarious in the right context. Like, I felt very funny when I was with my exceptionally close friends. Right, right. Uh, that knew me really well. Mm -hmm. And then I could, like, be funny and be what I felt like was myself. Mm -hmm. But I knew when I was meeting new people or in uncomfortable environments, I really shut down and got anxious and got nervous. So I signed up for improv class, both to make friends as an adult, but also to try and tackle that head on. Mm -hmm. Almost as a form of therapy to be like, put yourself out of your comfort zone and try and be your most funny self that you feel like when you're with your friends, but try and just be able to activate that whenever. Mm -hmm. And I was definitely going into this being like, we'll take a class. We'll take a class and then we'll be done. Yeah. That was uh, 2013. Uh, uh, and when you found improv, was it that sort of distracted brain where you can, like you found it just because a lot of things end up <laughs> just being interesting to you or was it something that you had loved for a long time whose line is it anyway uh -huh. it's when i watched with my mommy <laughs> growing up i don't know my dad i saw wayne brady and the joke was like there he is <laughs> that guy makes sense as my daddy <laughs> <laughs> yeah i hope you get to meet wayne brady sometime just so you can be like i have a special connection with you we don't have to go into it but can we do improv
No. Yeah, or I'll just tell him that, listen, you're my father. Can we do improv? <laughs> so you start doing improv and, you know, you're at the pit, as you say. When did you make the transition over to Magnet? It all started with a little brochure mm-hmm. for camp improv utopia oh yeah not camp magnet that was a right. gotcha <laughs> more concept to camp magnet where a bunch of adults go into the woods mm-hmm. take improv classes and have a lot of fun mm-hmm. it was amazing and i awesome. met some magnet improvisers there i think caitlin steitzler i don't know if i'm pronouncing her last name right but she was there michael mcclernan was there and rick andrews was one of the people teaching one of the workshops oh very cool um, and I had the best time of my life. When I'm in a context like that, I feel like king of the nerds. <laughs> All these nerdy people come together and they love me. It feels great. <laughs> and Rick said, oh, yeah, if you like this, you should also do Camp Magnet. And he did some good. Uh, he, he's good for PR like that. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, okay, Rick, a few people in my class or sorry, in the camp, all we're all going to take level one together. And I at that point, I'd taken a several levels of the pit and i wasn't really looking for a new feeder but i just liked my friends yeah all right fine i'll take one class with rick at the magnet <laughs> and it wound up being such a good improv class it was so much fun so yeah he's great improv, he was my uh, yeah, yeah yeah he was my level one um I had a good level one too will jacobs yeah. was there um oh, adam cool. weed the storytelling teacher yeah. the magnet previous my level one improv class yeah he was friend of the show, Adam Wade. Hi, Adam. We <laughs> being like, hi, Adam, to each other. Adam's so, one of yeah. the, yeah, because you're both Adams. Yeah. Yeah. I think when we, when, when people talk about the nicest people in Magnet, it's Nick Canellis, mm-hmm. Adam Wade, and Adam Payne. <gasps> the, the three Can nicest I, people at Magnet. Sure. What the hell? I'm notorious. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, the mysterious Adam Payne. <laughs> well, that's cool. So that's how you get into classes at Magnet. You eventually start doing musical improv. And that's how I first came to know you as a musical improviser. And then started seeing you doing non-musical improv. I was like, oh, this guy's great at this. Too. <laughs> but so what, I mean, obviously, I think the obvious thing here about what interested you about musical improv is all of your experience in music. my dad yeah oh yeah that too that's it <laughs> so yeah i mean obviously you're going to want to look into that when you found out about musical improv can you tell us what that was like uh yeah that was actually my level one class at the pit it's mm-hmm. like every other improv class they say see shows and mm-hmm. i was looking through the schedule and the shows that stood out to me, it's like, oh, cool, musical, let's look at this. So the first yeah. improv show I saw outside the context of whose line is it anyway, uh-huh. and that one short form show at my college was a musical improv show. The team Hello over at the pit and saw them and that feeling that you get when you first see musical improv tends to be a, oh my goodness, this is magical. How did they... Yeah. How did this all come together? Because mm-hmm. they do an narrative form. Mm-hmm. I remember Jamie Cummings just molding beans into Oscar Montoya's wounds and just being like, this is genius. This is <laughs> these are geniuses that I'm watching. Yeah. And that was the first improv show I've ever seen. I, again, the bean thing was real. I remember that. That's 10 years ago. Yeah. 
when I remember their bean scene. They don't remember their beans. <laughs> I remember their bean scene. Uh, <laughs> yeah, isn't that wild? Like all this, like if you're watching how when you, if, when you are watching improv, something can get really stuck in your brain. But then, like, if you're doing improv, you're like, oh, what was the first beat scene I was in? What was it about? <laughs> it happened 10 minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember. Anything. I forgot enough suggestions to relate <laughs> to that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, what are we supposed to be doing? <laughs> I don't have any other ideas. Well, that, yeah. So that's cool. So you, you found this new magical thing and then you wanted to pursue that as well. Yeah, every show I saw for my normal improv classes that were not musical at the pit, pretty much all of them were musical shows. It definitely was the driving <laughs> factor for me. Mm -hmm. I think just the music really appealed to me. But even beyond that, just the fact that they're telling a story, the yeah. fact that it is an improvised narrative, that appealed to that film studies major in me. Right. I, yeah. stories. I think just, yeah, I think that was really interesting and really mm -hmm. fun every time to see the amount of payoff you can get by having a conclusion. Mm -hmm. And I love Harold's. I love Spokane's. I like all these non-narrative forms. Spokane is, no, narrative adjacent. But yeah, to me, the narrative component that you get in the majority of musical improv shows was the thing that kept me coming back to it. It kept me seeing those for my class homework week after week. I think one of the things that stands out when I see you do improv is how open to whatever the moment you are and how and also i think how open you are to just being silly i think that is a big roadblock for a lot of performers because when they can easily i i've see i see sometimes performers have the reaction of being put on the spot and just shut down in those moments because they're like you know it's it's you got to be vulnerable to be silly and people don't want to look silly <laughs> they don't want to be made fun of they want to be laughed with not at but you seem to when met with those moments of all right here's something real silly that's gonna come i'm just gonna do it and there's a very like i don't care <laughs> like i'm doing it delivery like how what is the mindset from you do you, is that something that you recognize about your your yes. playing yeah. Absolutely. That was a very accurate. <laughs> yeah, I was just talking because I actually just finished up another class. I got to take a North Coast oh, awesome. improv class, which was incredibly fun. Oh, yeah. Uh, Douglas Wittick, shout out. Previous guest. Yes. Friend of the show. I assume Billy Soko is a friend of the show. That's a Billy Soko, also friend of the show. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Wow. He was teacher. He's an incredible teacher. But just like talking to their students and being back in that context of doing like, oh, just warm up scenes in the class again, it really made it even clearer to me mm -hmm. that when I go into a scene, there are pretty much two things that I'm thinking mm -hmm. at any given point. One, this is going to be fun. And two, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be okay. When you're initiating towards me, I probably walk in with a little bit of a smile on my face and my hands and my <laughs> just holding each other like this and being like, what you got for me? This is going to be, <laughs> yeah, that sort of demeanor. And mm -hmm. then I like hearing your idea and just having probably a non-confrontational fun reaction to it. And that's sort of like the template that I sort of branch off from for the majority of my scenes. It's going to oh, be awesome. going to be okay. Let's not forget about it. Yeah. 
And those are the kind of notes that I hear coaches and instructors give a lot of like, know each other, like each other, yes. <laughs> agree with what there's, you know, like, like a little beyond the just yes and of it, but even the look, you know, no, don't negotiate here. Like you, you're, this person is clearly your husband. They're not giving you new information. You know, just be okay with that. Project someone who is expecting their husband to behave this way or their wife to behave this way. Like maybe, it, maybe. Like that their husband <laughs> or wife is behaving that way. Maybe they love it. Like that's, a, right. that's the added element that I like putting in. It's like, oh, they're weird, but they're married. Right. They probably <laughs> like that. Right. They, why would you marry someone you hate? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I wonder where, I mean, I, my suspicion when improvisers, the reason improvisers end up doing things like that and getting notes like that is just an uncomfortability with going there, maybe. Like, maybe to them, it's like, again, that vulnerable thing of like, oh, this seems like something I don't know how to do well, or... I don't really know what they're going for. And that uncomfortability comes out as disagreement. Yes. Yes. That makes very much sense. I think there's also an element of like, oh, I don't know what's going on. There's like, there's that uncomfortability, but I know that my job is to find out what's weird mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. finding out what's weird occasionally comes off as like, oh, let's confront the weird thing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Pull out the weird thing. Like, why well, you got to do that? You will always yeah. do this. <laughs> yeah. Where you can still call out the weird thing. It's just like, you're doing this? Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, mean, I think I've seen you do that kind of move a lot where it, where you repeat the thing that someone said and then you just double down on wanting to do it. Yeah. Like, I just repeat the thing gonna something happen. weird louder. Yeah. With a celebratory tone, <laughs> hoping that my teammates are just also in agreement, being like, yeah, weird thing. <laughs> and then we sing about it. <laughs> I would imagine there is a lot of overlap between musical and non-musical improv when it comes to your approach. Like, no matter what, you're agreeing with what someone's bringing. You're just not necessarily singing in non-musical improv. Yes. I think the approach is pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. I think the ways I might heighten it are different. Because in musical, you're sort of energy revving to a song and you're really articulating basically what is the concept of the song or what is the title of the song that you're about mm -hmm. to sing. So in musical, it's really common to be like, I don't know, just like, turtles can be fast, you guys. <laughs> turtles can be fast. And then you just... You sing about fast turtles. That, yeah. That's hilarious. Great song. Whereas in, yeah, normal, uh, regular non-singing improv, I don't think you need to repeat and hide it in the same direction, but I'm absolutely going to say, yeah, turtles can be fast. You're still sort of like highlighting concepts in musical improv and sort of like trying to get on the same page as far as the game of the scene and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But you're just not doing in the form of like building the energy to a song. You're building something but it's just not like a song so huh. probably pointing out the same things and saying the same words just heightening a little differently yeah i feel that one of the things that makes musical improv work so well is that it is being simplified to this is the thing we are talking about 
Mm-hmm. And we're going to repeat it several times before we start really talking about it because that's how songs work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it makes everyone get on the same page and then just add details to that one thing. And so yes. it's, it seems harder to derail that if everyone's just agreeing to agreeing that that is the structure. Yeah, you're sort of taking all the ingredients that you have and sort of distilling it to what matters. Mm-hmm. That's what makes the songs work. Mm-hmm. But also something that makes good improv scenes work. I think the structure it does. place for musical does sort of reinforce good right. work, honestly. Honestly, yeah. And that's that's essentially like no matter what, that is what's going to work regardless of the type of improv you're doing. Or even if you're writing a sketch, like making it about this thing. And being clear about that helps. But I feel like there are a lot less outs when it comes to musical improv because the piano player is playing. You're going to have to sing regardless. And you know the structure. So this is what you have to do. You have this and you can't bail (laughs) as easily. Whereas in improv, like when non-musical improv, people bail all the time. Because there's not something that is locking them in, like the start of a song, like a a structured thing, like a song and music playing. Yes, yes. I think the most common note that you get in musical improv is like, you're a Freight Spitznagel, the accompanist. Sure was playing for a while before he started singing. Maybe he's going to start singing when he started playing. I feel like that's probably one of the most common notes that we get. And it's the yeah. same idea. He started playing because he had something. Just make it about that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I feel like that really sets people up for success because it lets them know, okay, he started playing. So I guess that thing I said actually is a real thing I can run with. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so now I can just start focusing on that thing. And, I, and it probably also is very freeing. Yes. It's kind of like when you were in your classes and you're doing improv and just for your other classmates, it's very, very fun. And then you get in front of an audience for the first time and then you're doing improv and they laugh. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you have this validation and this reinforcement for the thing that you're doing that you didn't have before mm-hmm. that gives you a newfound feeling of confidence and energy going yeah. into that scene. It's a similar thing. It's reinforcing that what you're doing oh, it's worthy, it's good mm-hmm. to do mm-hmm. that. It's kind of like that feeling of an audience laughing. It gives you a little bit of direction. I know that there are some improvisers that are like, the audience isn't even there for me. <laughs> I care so much that the audience is there. <laughs> Please like me. I, it, it is, it's absolutely like, to me, improv shows are an interplay between the audience and the performers. You're building a bunch of in-jokes that everyone in that room just knows and can, like, get along with. They're part of it. So, yeah. Yeah. Use So, yeah. Frank reinforcing what you're doing is good. The audience reinforcing what you're doing is good. And just letting that refine what you're talking about. Yeah. That works. That makes sense for me. Yeah. I think another thing I noticed about non-musical improv is that in classes, being given an exercise that has a specific set of rules of, okay, when you start your scene, you're going to do this or focus on this, like saying things like this in the scene. So it's hyper-focused to something 
that gives somebody that structure. And those scenes go so well. And I get a lot of times in a class, just by trying to do the exercise, someone can get a laugh immediately. Whereas mm -hmm. in an improv show, you don't, you're not given an exercise beforehand. You're just trying to make everything up on the spot. Whereas a musical show, well, you've got this structure. You know, you don't, you maybe don't know exactly what you're going to say, but you know the time signature you have to say it in because a musician started playing it. And you know that it has that songwriting structure. Yes. And also sometimes the structures are just sort of like, built to be eh, kind of funny right yeah <laughs> like you have the structures in place and like some are kind of funny the audience is sort of there to pay off the patterns that are being said they're like they're there to just enjoy the patterns that you're setting they're there for those mm -hmm. jokes that you're building mm -hmm. and to have those structures in place can sort of fulfill that when you have an a a a b chorus right musical uh, improv chorus that means that you're repeating the a line a line is the same each time and B is different. That mm -hmm. can be funny. To repeat mm -hmm. something three times and have that B line be different can be very funny. Right, right. You have these structures, but they're also just very satisfying, funny structures. And I'm just thinking about that because you were talking about when you're in your class and you have those very specific exercises, yeah. you can laugh immediately. Mm -hmm. There's kind of like, it's nice to have a rule fulfilled. <laughs> yeah. If it's so satisfying to be like, this is the rule. It's like, okay, fulfilling that rule. And it's like, oh my gosh, they fulfilled the rule. That's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, to have those in the context of your show where there are no rules at first can be very funny. When you're sort of setting games and setting patterns, you're building rules. And then when you pay off those rules, it's very funny. Yeah. And you that in the context of these musical and structures as well. If you're doing an AAB mm -hmm. chorus, you're sort of like setting up this pattern and then doing right. it. It's like having an exercise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When you're doing non-musical improv, is there any sort of, other than what you already mentioned, is there any sort of structure like that or like, like an exercise that you're trying to implement so that you can make sure you stay on task, so to speak? I'm always like looking for that. Ah, yeah. There's like, I just like them being sort of discovered organically. Yeah. I love being, like, playful with the show itself. Even, mm -hmm. Like, rather than even necessarily just the scenes, just sort of, like, finding meta patterns in the show can be very fun for me. Mm -hmm. Using, like, like doing weirder callbacks can be very fun for me. Mm -hmm. I remember, like, one time Rob Pinty's coins fell out of his pocket, and it's like, okay, great. That's canon now let's start chucking coins on stage <laughs> at the like end of this set just finding yeah sort of building out more organic patterns because i never took ecb i don't really know what game is i'm just guessing right. here i'm doing my best but to me it that's what it is it's mm -hmm. finding rules it's finding patterns it's sort of like taking what's fun and just like saying that's canon that's a rule we got to do that from on. yeah yeah. Yeah, I never took UCB classes either. Oh my gosh, how did we make it? <laughs> Isn't that the only way you can do it? <laughs> I mean, like, at least that's what Matt Besser and Ian Roberts think. Coming back when you can finally start improv. <laughs> <laughs> but knocking on... I can always think it's funny. Like, obviously, those guys are great improvisers, and that structure to improv obviously works. And then there are just also, also a lot of brilliant people there. 
But I always sort of rolled my eyes and laughed at them when they took it so seriously that they acted like it was the only way to do improv. And I'm like, you're not even the oldest improv theater. That's I, hilarious to me, though. It's just like anyone taking improv seriously to me, like, care about it because it's fun. Right. Like, being serious about it, mm -hmm. like, that's not fun. Yeah. It's fun. Be a kid in your 30s. That's like great. Yeah. Like, yeah. It reminds me, like, I'm very passionate about it. And I'm when I'm serious about it, it's like figuring stuff out and learning things. That's just about growth. Like, that's being serious about growth. Mm -hmm. But this is a, a tangent. But did you ever see that show, Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip? Wow. I'm the only person that loved it. I really enjoyed that show. We're the only as two well. that love. I know the Christmas episode was great. Not. I know. I loved the Christmas episode. The pilot episode I watched like five times. Oh my god, the Christmas episode is so good when they so get the brass good. instruments from the, from New Orleans to do a version. <laughs> what are they? What are they doing? Like Ode to Joy? Uh, <laughs> Say it makes it. Me cry every time. <laughs> yeah, great, great. I really thought it was a great show, but. I always sort of roll my eyes at that scene when Nick Cordry was yelling at his mom for calling them skits and not sketches. Do you remember that scene where his, his mom and dad came to visit and they're like, oh, you're, you're skits. You're like, do you do your little skits? And he was like, the skits are fraternity brothers being put in wigs and pretending to be sorority sister cheerleaders. Sketches are da-da-da-da-da. And it's like, wow. okay, man. <laughs> it's comedy. Listen, I'm the only other person that loves the show. I don't even remember that scene because I probably blocked that one out <laughs> in favor of the Brass New Orleans band. <laughs> it stuck out as me as like, okay, I understand the difference between skits and sketches, but why is he mad? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why is he so mad? What he, the work he's doing is so important. It's like, we see the sketches. Like, come on. Yeah, there are two words that are spelled really similarly. Uh, right. mean really similar things. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and that's how I feel when people get mad and so precious over their style. And, and it's to the point that they are putting down other styles or think that it's preposterous what someone else is saying. And it's like, you're all successfully doing improv. Mm -hmm. So what's the problem here? Do it the way... It works for your brain and recognize that there are other kinds of brains out there. And so they need a different approach, guy. Like, relax, <laughs> relax, unclench. I feel like I'm in a place that um, traditionally bad improv mm -hmm. to me, very funny. <laughs> I will happily be in the scenes that are initiated with like, what are you doing? Like, that's. I, I think that's funny again. That's come back full circle to me. Like, I'll enjoy it. It's going to be okay. And it's going to be fun. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, they'll figure it out. Yeah. Like, you don't have to get so mad. No, there was a scene that a team did recently that someone else brought up to me is like, I couldn't believe that. Like, the scene just started in the most peculiar way. And, and, but I remember the moment because not only did I laugh, but the, the, crowd laughed the audience was super into it but it was the sort of approach that you would be told not to do in a class 
<laughs> which is probably a good direction when you're starting out. Yeah. Absolutely. There's yeah. a reason we learn these things. I'm just saying, I enjoy it regardless. <laughs> I enjoy it. But also, like, we're everyone can fall into a trap, but if they are more experienced improviser, they still find a nuance in there that makes it work somehow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they get on their feet and then they, they like it flourishes into maybe more textbook approaches. But it, it's still funny when it starts off that way and you're like, I have no idea what's going on, but I am delighted. Because honestly, another part of it for me is that when people are a little less experienced as a performer, mm-hmm. there's something really like interesting about their organic self that is performing. Mm-hmm. And there's generally like, that's enough. That's yeah. enough to find something to enjoy. Just yeah. like being themselves is like, okay, there's something that you can probably find just in that. That's kind of fun and kind of hilarious. I'm not saying I only do good scenes. Mm-hmm. When I say it's going to be okay, maybe it's a bad scene. But there's probably still something that you can find that you can enjoy just in the person. Because like non-performers are great. Yeah. Like, they're really, f- yeah, they have really... They have something else they're doing with their life. That's interesting. Right. That's why I love about the mixers and the jams at Magnet, because you have somebody who it's always a, a, a more inexperienced performer and an experienced performer kind of paired together. And there is a rawness to the inexperienced performer. And it's, a bunch of times like majority of the time it's coming out of a place of of nervousness mm-hmm. but the the experienced performer has a way of using it anyway using whatever they said anyway and it ends up being a super fun scene for everybody and no one's getting thrown under the bus <laughs> it's just like yeah i got you <laughs> you know like don't worry Yes. When those scenes go well, it's just literally a celebration of that person's natural self. It's so beautiful. It it really, really is. And then for some reason, somehow we lose that. I think the average improviser maybe loses that as they continue through classes. But back taking it back to you and something I said earlier, I feel like that's something you have not lost because you still have that sort of not vulnerability or nervousness, but it is that you're still being open enough and vulnerable enough that you are being met at that same kind of place with, or or that's not the way to word it. You are meeting that same sort of moment of, all right, this, uh, this could go dices, you get dicey, but you still are just open and letting it happen and letting whatever happen. And then the experience also is there and kicks in yeah i definitely like i'm there to have fun i'm there to enjoy mm-hmm. what's happening to the best of my ability i think in my improv journey like everyone i definitely started nervous mm-hmm. my organic nervous self was probably very interesting to the more experienced improvisers <laughs> and then i started getting more experience and then your brain is like, okay, I need to make the right moves. Now that you're sort of learning some of the <laughs> rules, your brain is a little bit too focused on what is right. And maybe you're less being your organic self and more trying to perform the idea of what you think it's supposed to be. Right. And then, so there's that lull in the middle that I think a lot of us get when you're uh, <laughs> at a certain stage and you're learning improv. 
And then coming back out of it is kind of back to like, oh, wait, my organic self is good, is funny. So yeah, when I come into these scenes and I'm just like, it's going to be okay. I feel like, I feel like a Michael Sarah improviser, like oh. the rest of development that people yeah. playing the same character every time. Yeah, I play similar characters off. <laughs> They're not too branched off from just myself. To me, that's enough that you can get a huge diversity of scenes just from that origin point. So I'm fine with it. I love Michael Sarah. Yeah. I mean, it is like going back to you talking about your organic self and also like you are enough. And that's, <laughs> I think that is something you hear a lot in certain improv communities is you are enough you don't have to be whatever you think lofty thing you think someone has to be like whoever you are like like i mentioned nick canellis earlier he is somebody who can do any accent and use his body in any way to become anyone but that in a way is him being himself mm-hmm because Absolutely. he's he's so skilled at those things. Like that yes. is him who he is, is someone who is skilled at those things. So he being a like, good improviser. Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah. He feels like even before he literally became a father, he felt like that fun dad that's <laughs> like trying to entertain the toddler by like making big kids and doing that stuff. <laughs> it felt like one performer's perspective and it mm -hmm. felt like his organic self, even though, yes, he is doing a million voices and he is contorting his body in so many different ways but it felt like him right right and it's 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 still at the end of the day him being him and you being you and it's not like you're less of a performer because you're not doing all of those things that people love about him well no you're not less of a like who who you are is exactly who needs to show up and if you're somebody who is is capable in all the ways you are capable if someone has that about them naturally then that's just what's going to show up because that's who the person is you know and so if you know i also don't like when people are like oh this person like jack nicholson plays the same thing all the time and it's like you don't know anything about acting <laughs> like if you think that but People say that and it's like, yeah, but it, it it's also really, really good. <laughs> Him being that thing he is, is really, really good. Yes. And, I, and I think that applies to every art form. Like who someone is, they're shining their light and that's all they are supposed to do is be vulnerable, be vulnerable enough to shine their light. I feel like in other art forms, it's, it's a little clearer if like painting or something, if someone's offering a specific perspective right. as a painter, you're like, oh, this master's so good at drawing these blurry flowers, mm -hmm. Monet. There's no reason that doesn't necessarily apply to other performance art forms. Like mm -hmm. even if you're offering something specific, you're the person that's doing your thing best. Like right. you yourself best. Why not do that best? Like exactly yeah you know so it was like oh he always plays blues guitar it's like yeah he's good he's at blues, blues guitar, guitar. Yeah. <laughs> what is he supposed to do <laughs> like, yeah exactly no one goes to a famous like robert johnson is like why aren't you playing pop slash shred like no <laughs> yeah. do your thing do your thing well <laughs> right right i love it
Well, we've somehow reached the end of the episode. I don't, I don't know how much, how time has gone that fast, but I guess this is how it works. Time wow. is a construct. <laughs> well, let's create something together. An idea I had was for me to initiate a few scenes and you respond. We'll let uh, like the scenes go a few lines, but it could be a way to demonstrate this uh, acceptance of what someone says. <laughs> and not that I'm going to try to say weird things or off the wall thing. I'm just going to say whatever comes to mind. Does that sound like a... Uh... What if I said no right now? That'd be hilarious. <laughs> That'd be the antithesis of what we've been talking about the whole time. I'm going to say yes. <laughs> well, you know, there have been people who are like, oh, what about this? And that's fine. Well, I'm going to go to canigeta.com. For those who don't know, it's an improv suggestion website. <laughs> it's can i get dot com and okay it's finally happened <laughs> i can't believe it but it's finally happened you did it i built a time machine you did it we can go to the past <laughs> yes first place i want to go i want to see the jackson five. Oh, baby it's your dream finally coming true Baby, my scientist baby. Yeah. Maybe I can also keep some things from happening. But first, the Jackson 5. No, we have our priorities in place. You have wanted to meet Tito and Mess and Jermaine and the other two. Please don't forget Marlon. Don't forget Marlon or Jack. I forgot Marlon. I'm sorry. This is your dream, not mine. (laughs) Nevertheless, we are going there. We have a time machine. We don't need to rush. Okay. All right. New scene. New scene. <laughs> you need to take all those rods over there. You got to put them on this pile so we can melt them down. Hey, you got it, boss. I got the rod. One, two, three. I'm hands full of rods. Yeah. <laughs> Walking over to the pile with a song in my heart. I love your gusto. I was hoping you'd use the wheelbarrow, but you haven't once since I hired you two years ago. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of a hands-on guy. Bus the rods. Hey. <laughs> In hindsight, bus. Am I supposed to touch the rods? They are blowing. Oh, you weren't. You weren't. But somehow you're fine. Yeah, I feel better. I had psoriasis on my hands and the psoriasis systems. Just uh, don't tell the government. Okay, another scene, another scene. I'm going to hand you a note. You're going to read that note. You're not going to scream, and you're not going to call the police. Uh, uh, Do you understand okay. me? I, I understand completely. Okay. Oh, hang on. I didn't write on the... It'll make more sense when you read this if you know that I'm a hacker. Okay? okay. Don't press that button. That gets the police now. Oh, no, no, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to press the button. I understand. All right, here you go. I'm, um, I'm excited. All right, well, here's the note. Ooh, fun. Dear Cynthia, ever since I first saw you at the bank, I haven't been able to get you out of my mind. 
I come here every day making small deposits because it's all that I have. <laughs> but why don't you take a shot? Gesture to God. Oh, God. Why do you take a shot on me? Oh. I'm so glad you finally said something. Oh, good, good. I have a note for you. Oh, you have one for me? Yeah. Oh, wow. I have a feeling. Here you go. Lied. Right? Dear Jeffrey. <laughs> Very formal. You can call me Jeff. I consider us close enough. Okay. Let me huh? just take that back. Oh, here you go. Oh, wow. You wrote it in there a lot. I had some extra thoughts. Okay. Enjoy your new oh. nickname, Jeff. Oh, wow. Jeffy. My Jeffy. Okay. I like it. I've been waiting for you to hand me a note that wasn't just about making small deposits or how you wanted the money, the withdrawal in the fives and tens and not twenties. And it always made me think you were kept cute. And I wanted to take a shot. Oh, you have a gun. You have a gun too. Oh, we both have guns. <laughs> we, have, we have so much in common. I wanted you to take a shot and uh, take me out to dinner sometime. Oh, wow. Well, uh, I just want you to see that my gun does this. I'm just going to pull the trigger here and just says love. A thing pops out that just says love. Oh my it's gosh! Not a, not a real gun. My gun is for self defense. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. All right. See, <laughs> I think in each of those examples, it does show like how hard you and when you yes and like you accept the situation, the scenario, but then you also find a really fun, silly, whether it's character voice, whether it's perspective. You you let it come out in a very fun, silly way that doesn't get in the way of what I presented. I yeah, I did have fun with it. I'm not going to lie. I want to pass more notes. I want to explain how the hacker part was part of the note that I read. I, there's more to explore here. Yeah, there was. I was thinking about. I should have said like, uh, turn the note over. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking about that afterwards. It's like, hey, sorry, I just ignored your hacker part of the note. I didn't care. Uh, just... I like both of our minds. I'm like, what about the hacker part? <laughs> and that's like one of my things. It's like, I don't know how often this happens to you, but so many times there's a thought in my head about the scene I'm in. And then later I'm like, oh, yeah, I should have acknowledged that in the scene instead of just in my head. But I don't know if it's like, am I... Am I being polite? Is that me being polite to not bring it up? Because maybe it's then like pointing out a, a quote unquote mistake the other person's making. Like, I don't understand why I don't bring those things to the table and I just leave it in my head. Yeah, I think most of the time it's in your head because it's probably like something worth exploring or having fun with. But maybe we don't say it because we're actively listening to the other person. Yeah. You know, we're just sort of like trying to be present and listening so maybe that's not the reason to bring it up then and just right. file it away and just like you know if there's a little extra time be like so hack to this note uh, i don't know <laughs> because then yeah. it can be a really fun callback later anyway 
Exactly. Well, there it is. Adam, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, Jason. I loved it. Really fun chat. I hope you enjoyed us goofing around. See Adam's musical improv team, Zodiac, this Thursday at 10 p.m. at 9 p.m. See You Are Not Alone this Sunday at 6 p.m. Go to magnettheater.com to get tickets because both of the shows are at The Magnet. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at There It Is Pod and subscribe to our YouTube channel at There It Is. And follow me on Twitter at Jason Farr Jokes and Instagram at Jason Farr Picks. Also subscribe to our comedy lifestyle newsletter and support us if you can. We have a Patreon and a PayPal. Go to thereitispod.com for newsletter and support info. Links in bio. We have some very fun episodes coming up, and we have some fun ideas that we are considering putting out there, so be on the lookout for that. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. (laughs) 